0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.
1: So part three of today's show is going to be the mailbag. T guns, NCAA football is coming back. Let's go, Brian. Let's go. Brian, will you be taking a personal day for the game to drop buddy? I will not be taking a personal day to play that video game. I will be taking multiple personal days to play that video game. There is no, no, no question about that. And so to me, I mean, you guys just better prepare yourselves when that game comes out. There's a shot we may not have shows for a couple days. Just be ready for it because we will. I would be playing the heck out of that game. Salty Virginia Peanuts, to what extent does Mr. French, that would be Jamie French, have things that are non-starters in his recruitment for Notre Dame? You know, Salty, I don't think it's a situation where – and I, I love the fact that you added all those second letters in those because obviously Jamie French spells his name with two Fs at the beginning. That's very well played. By the way, I don't know that it's necessarily things that are non-starters. I mean, I think Jamie French likes Notre Dame enough to where Jamie French visited Notre Dame. It's just that I think there's a lot of other schools that are a lot closer to home or have more proven track records to say, okay, I like Notre Dame, but I don't like them as much as these five schools, right? You get what I'm saying? So I don't know that it's necessarily – Something in particular that he doesn't—that's a non-starter for Notre Dame. There's just the things that are important to him. Notre Dame can't. Hey, look—if you're talking about Notre Dame versus Ohio State, Notre Dame versus Georgia, Notre Dame versus Alabama, Notre Dame hasn't produced as many first-round picks as most of those guys. The the track record of Notre Dame guys going the NFL is not great. You look at the the pass offenses. Notre Dame's not had a great pass offense in recent years, and you look at the overall team success of the teams that he's looking at that are all just better than Notre Dame is right now. Now, do I think if Notre Dame, you know, like if Sam Hartman would have come out this year and and been what we all hoped he would have been, would Jamie French like Notre Dame more? Yeah, I think so. Would that automatically mean they'd be a major player for him? Maybe. But I still think the the idea of where Notre Dame is and and just those other factors to me, you know, it's it just makes it to where Notre Dame is just not really going to be a player for him at this point in time. Number, we've got another one from Salty. Got a few questions in here. Salty says, Notre Dame is one of Matty Augustine's recently released top five finalists for his impending commitment, which will be on February 20th. What are the odds that the Irish are number one and when will we commit? Uh, look, Salty, so I'm not sure what Ryan and, and Sean talked about yesterday when it comes to this, but Notre Dame has been his perceived leader since they offered last this summer. And, and Matty Augustine's a very interesting player. He's a converted basketball player. A lot like Chris Burgess. And Javion Campbell, who's another kid I like in the 25 class that plays D-line. Maddie reclassified from 24 to 25 to get more in line with what his age is, and then also, I believe, more time to play, you know, to, to develop as a football player. And came to camp this summer, didn't have an offer, relatively unknown type of guy. Went out and just played great. Just absolutely great uh at the camp really impressed with his size his powers athleticism staff really really liked it and just got an offer and from that moment he was a top guy for Notre Dame and from that moment he pretty much he pretty much became Notre Dame was kind of his top guy too and so to me when you when you look at where he is I just have never felt anyone was close to Notre Dame I mean, he's got an impressive list. Michigan's gone after him, and Ohio State, and some other teams, but Notre Dame has just been kind of sitting there in that in that pole position for a while now. Could that change by the twentieth? Perhaps, but I like where Notre Dame is. I would much better today. I would much rather be Notre Dame than I would be anybody else when it comes to the recruitment of Matty Augustine. There's zero doubt about that.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com/slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Tommy Guns also asked we'd be joining the IB meetup in Indianapolis. I will not. Tommy, I will not be doing that. Robert Metajic. I hope I'm saying that right. I I don't know if I am, and I apologize if I'm not. It says just submitted my ninth indie MFA application. This is the year, right? Hope so. Acceptance and a natty sigh. Thank you so much for all you do. Your amazing content keeps depressed art types fighting. Well, hey man, always keep fighting. Obviously, there's no doubt about that. And we uh, we'll be praying for you and, and wishing you best luck. And that this is the year that the acceptance finally comes. That would be tremendous. But hey, whether it comes or doesn't. God still loves you. We still love you. And there's always a place for here at Irish Breakdown. So we look forward to that. Jason Smith asked a question. Who are your top five OCDC Tams in college football? Jason, that is a great question. And I'm not going to answer it today, but I'm making a note of it right now. That is going to be a great RTCF show topic coming up here very soon. So we're always kind of taking notes for that portion of it because obviously, For those who don't know, RTCF Recruiting, R, Notre Dame Recruiting, Notre Dame Team, T, and then CF College Football. That's what that show stands for. And so that is a really good topic because I don't know that I've really thought through that question, to be honest with you. But here's one thing that that is exciting. I do believe that Notre Dame is going to be in the conversation for being a team to be in that. I don't want to say for sure that they will just because I need to see it, right? I need to go through the list and really figure out. But like off the top of my head, some teams that that are, are going to certainly be in conversation for me, Notre Dame is going to be in the conversation. Ohio State is going to be in the conversation with the hiring of Chip Kelly. That was a, a great pairing. I, I was not high on the Mike Bobo hire at Georgia last year. Did a solid job in year one to the point where I think they're at least in the conversation about it. I think Alex Atkins and um oh, – I'm forgetting Adam – I'm forgetting their D coordinator's name at Florida State. Adam Fuller, I believe, is his name. I think that group is going to be in it. That duo is going to be in it. So there's a lot of – there's a lot of teams with really good co- uh, coordinator combinations this year. And I'm curious, who did Mike Elko hire? Did he – who did he – do you guys remember who he hired as his defensive coordinator? Because I uh, – I know that he hired Connor Klein, which I I liked that hire. I'm I'm curious who his defensive coaching staff is. So let me find it here real quick. This article has it. Who's his defensive coordinator? Let me see here. Defensive coordinator. That's the offensive staff. Let's see who's his defensive coordinator. Give me a second here. I'm going to find it here, everybody. I'm just going to hit control F. Okay, Jay Bateman. Nope, they're not in it. No, Jay Bateman is not a great hire by Coach Elko. That was not good. So AM's not in it. So I'm going to have to go through and, and think through all the teams that kind of who they would be. But I know Notre Dame, Ohio State, uh, Georgia's in that conversation. So I'm going to have to go through it all and kind of figure out who I like and what teams are there. Um, you know, I think LSU would have had a shot if they could have kept Elko – I mean, kept Denbrock and then hired a guy from Missouri would have been a good combination, but then they lost him, and now they're not as good as offensive coordinator. So I'm going to look at different aspects of that. And Jay and Jason, we'll get more into this in a RTCF show because that, that's a fun topic. But I just ha- I'd have to really look through and study, and I couldn't even necessarily name the coordinators for every team in the country right now. And then you know, do you? Here's the question I would have for you, Jason. When we have this conversation. And this is just true for all of this is true for all of you. So I'd actually like you all in the chat to answer this question for me so I so I know when Sean and I talk about this in a future show, kind of what the what it is. So, like when we talk about coordinators, are you more concerned with who has the title or who calls the plays? Because if you're going to talk about, for example, Texas, I believe Steve Sarkeesian still calls plays, even though he's not the offensive coordinator. So would you want us to look at Sarkeesian? in Coach K at Texas or would you know that or, or would you want us to look at Lincoln Riley and DeAnton Lynn or do you want us to look at who the OC is for USC because to me that matters to me when you got DeAnton Lynn and, and I only know what he did last year at UCLA but he did a really good job there that's going to look a little different for me than DeAnton Lynn and whoever the offensive coordinator is so I'm curious what you guys all think about that you know who, who do, do you care more about the guys calling the plays or do you care more about who the who the title goes to and it looks like so far that you guys care more about who calls plays. So that'll that'll be a fun conversation, and and we'll try to have some you know some we'll, we'll think through that. So that'll be fun, Jason. So we will. We, I've just made a note of that, and I'm gonna pass that along to Sean. That's gonna be one of our RTCF conversations up here very very soon. Because obviously there's some with everything going on in college football, there could be some really heavy conversations when it comes to college football, and we've had some of them lately. But sometimes it's just nice to have some fun and talk ball, and that's a really fun one that would be much uh, less heavy and doom and gloom than some of the other conversations that we're going to have about that. Got a question down here. Let's see. Brandon Plensner has a question. How do do you feel any type of way about Notre Dame playing two service academies in a single season or does it not matter to you? Well, it matters to me, but not in the way that I think a lot of you think about it. I, I like, I have no problem with it. Look, Notre Dame and, and Army have played in some some great historical games. Notre Dame and Navy are a long-time rivalry. I think some of us need to get over this whole stigma about service academies. Army went 6 and 6 last year. Is playing Army any worse than playing a power 5 team that that went 3 and 9 or 2 and 10 or playing a 6 and 6 MAC team? Like I have no problem playing Army. They're an AAC team. Navy's an AAC team you know, Army, this will be their first year in the AAC. I have I've no problem with it. I mean, Army's had some really good teams lately. I mean, they were down last year, you know, but this is a football team that to me is is not that many years from removed from being a nine-win football team that meet, beat Missouri in a bowl game, lost to Wisconsin by six, you know, and that was what, 2021 when Army did that. So I have no problem with it. Uh, you know, I respect that I respect that organization. I respect everything about those kids and what they do and what they have to go through to to be football players. And and I think that it, for Notre Dame, there's a little bit more to it than just oh, you played a service academy. There's history there, like Air Force and Notre Dame. I don't really care as much about that one, although and and that's not a that's not a negative to me because to me, Notre Dame and Air Force doesn't have the same type of history that Notre Dame and Army have. You know, they just they don't. They've played almost 30 times. But to me, when I think of Notre Dame and Air Force, I don't think of the same history of, of rivalries. Why? Because no, Air Force hasn't been on the schedule as long as as Navy. And even though the, the Notre Dame and Army have played each other something like about 50 times, it's about 20 more than Air Force. There's a time when that was a great game between two great teams. I mean, Air Force has national titles. Now that happened during the war. But still, I, I think there's more history there that I like and appreciate than I would playing some random Iowa State or something. Let's get to some more questions here. Some good ones today, folks. I'm enjoying the question so far. T Gunn says on a scale of one to sin, what where would you give up? Where would giving up I B for Lent rank? I mean, that that is not really something that I can tell you what you need to do, man. I mean, I I'm I don't do Lent, so I don't know what that's about. I've never been part of the denomination where that was a thing. Uh, to me, I will say this to you, and I mean this with every ounce of my heart. To me, I think if you need to, if you feel that there are things in your life that the Holy Spirit, that God is calling you to give up, then you need to give them up because listening to an Irish breakdown, watching learning football, you know, your favorite food, whatever the case may be, is, is not something worth. Being disobedient to the Holy Spirit, and so I, I I don't know if you're kidding or not, Tommy. But if you, just in case you are serious, man, if if the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart, you listen to it, even if it's not something you're necessarily thrilled about. Especially if it's not something that you're necessarily thrilled about. But I, I hope the Holy Spirit doesn't put that on your heart because I want you to stay and uh, and keep watching the show, and being part of our community. Anthony Solomon with a soup with a question. He says, "Where on the schedule?" Where in the schedule is is Notre Dame, if Notre Dame is undefeated, do you sense a potential deep playoff run? Where in the schedule, if Notre Dame is undefeated, do you sense a potential deep playoff run? So are you saying, like, where would Notre Dame need to get to for me to say, hey, because they're here, they are a team that can make a deep playoff run? I'd probably say after the Virginia game. And the reason I say the Virginia game is because if Notre Dame gets to the Virginia game undefeated, I think they're pretty much guaranteed a playoff spot. The question now would be about positioning. But the other part of it would be if they can get through that part of the schedule, you've beaten, to me, the best teams on your schedule with USC coming up. You would have beaten, to me, the most talented team on your schedule. You would have had to show that you can bounce back and, and, and get your head right the week after having that kind of game. And that would kind of tell me, hey, this team has a chance to make a deep playoff run. The earliest that I would feel comfortable saying that would be the Florida State game. I I think until you play Florida State, there's really no talk about how deep of a run could Notre Dame make. Once you play Florida State, you get a better sense because I think that's the team to me that has the best roster stacking up against Notre Dame. And that's something you're going to have to get. And they're a well-coached football team. And that's something I don't think Mike Norvell and his staff get enough credit for. And so we'll kind of we'll, – we'll dive into that. And um, as we get – after those games, we'll dive more into the whole, hey, because of this, I think that team can make a run. It's a, it's a good question, Anthony. Salty Virginia Peanut says, the Irish will play Navy and Army twice in a month in 2024. Will both Florida State and USC following one of those games? Does this represent a scheduling pitfall? I do not believe so. Uh, let's, let's pull the schedule app back up again here real quick. Salty, I'm going to take your question down. So when you look at Navy, that's that's before Florida State, but there's a bye week in between. So, you know, to your question, you said with both Florida State and USC following one of those games, well, they follow, correct? But again, it comes with a bye week. And then after Army, you've got USC. There's no bye week there. But a couple things. Number one, I have said this for years. I've been consistent with it. I think the whole playing triple option teams is way overplayed, way overplayed. And there was that stat that that people that covered Notre Dame used to like to point to, and and rightfully so, because the, the, the results are the results. I don't think the results were skewed. The results were accurately portrayed that the week after playing by, no, option teams for a long time, Notre Dame struggled. Well, that changed the last five or six years. Why? Not because those teams got worse, per se, but it was a lot, which Navy actually did. Navy was a was not a very good team the last few years, but more so about Notre Dame got a lot better. And to me, the reason Notre Dame struggled all those years is because Notre Dame was often not a very good football team. And and as I said, I, I just think the whole the whole playing triple option theme. Look, I've had to as a coach, I've had to, we we had a playoff game where, you know, we had to play Salisbury one week and they were a triple option team. And the next week I had to go play WJ, and they were far from an option team. I mean, our defense played lights out that next week against W&J. They played lights out against Salisbury. Our offense is the one that struggled in week two in the second playoff game. We only scored 10 points. Now we scored 10 early and jumped on them 10 nothing, but we are the ones that faltered and cost us that game. It wasn't our defense? I mean, I, I also have some firsthand experience with this, but when you look at Notre Dame over the years and you look at how Notre Dame has played coming to these bye games, when Notre Dame has a good team, it doesn't matter. When Notre Dame has a flawed team, it matters. And so I just I don't think it has the same impact. I mean this year Notre Dame played Navy and a week later they played Tennessee State and won 56 to 3. You know, you look at the year before Notre Dame plays Navy, they struggle with Navy. They beat Navy 35 to 32. Navy comes all the way back. A, a week before playing Navy, they beat Clemson 35 to 14. The week after playing Navy, they beat Boston College 44 to nothing. Boston College, as you'll remember, was coming off of an upset road win over a then top twenty NC State team. The year before, twenty twenty one, Notre Dame plays Navy. A week later, they go on the road to Virginia. It's a pretty decent Virginia team that year. They win twenty to three. Uh, Go to twenty nineteen. Notre Dame plays Navy. They win fifty two to twenty. A week later, they host Boston College. They win forty to seven. You know, two thousand and eighteen. Notre Dame plays Navy. They win forty-four to twenty-two. The next week, they have a they have they no buy. They go on the road and beat a ranked Northwestern team by ten. So there's just no evidence, in my opinion, that when Notre Dame has had a good team, that there's that they struggle to play a, a, a anybody the next week. So I'm an evidence guy, and to me, I just there's no evidence from my personal experience, and there's no evidence from what Notre Dame has done the last five six years that playing those teams is, is a problem you you have you have plenty of, and sometimes you could even spin it and, and i and i think it is spin but you could make a case that playing an option team like that can kind of be good for you because it 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 forces your players to be more mentally locked in at a time in the season when maybe you may run kind of into some times where it's like it is getting later in the year you're coming out of you know uh, midterms guys may lose focus a little bit this forces you to lock in and it also as as a potential positive especially for the army game is because you're playing something unique that's going to grab your attention more there's less chance of you looking ahead where if you flipped them and you had you know virginia coming up maybe you look at you overlook virginia when you're playing a team that runs the option there's less there's less likelihood that you are gonna focus ahead because for for the defense because you're you're thinking about that unique offense so I just don't think it has the same issues and presents the same problems as it used to and and the reason it used to is because number one there was some legitimacy to it because you did for a time have the potential for guys to be not just injured more I don't know that that was necessarily provable or not I mean it's provable but I don't know that was necessarily proved but the constant cutting can definitely take out of your low, a lot out of your lower body. Well, they can't do that anymore. They can't cut like that anymore. And and you can't cut on the perimeter like they used to anymore. So it doesn't have the same wear and tear on your body that it used to either. And that's why I just think that, that we, we, uh, we tend to put too much into the whole service Academy thing because of the option. And I just don't think it 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 should be that. To be honest with you, I mean, and look, even when you look at Notre Dame, and you look at you because know, I mean, we talk about the option, but remember, in in, in twenty fifteen, Notre Dame played a Georgia Tech team that that was a triple option team. And you say, well, the next week they 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 went and played UMass and they won sixty two to twenty seven, and then they that same year they played Navy, and then the next week they beat USC forty one to thirty one. So, I mean, you could go back a long time and and point to issues that this football team has had and the only year that so from 2015 on the only time notre dame has lost or not played relatively well coming after an academy was in 2000 and in 16 they they beat they played navy and army back to back lost to navy blew out army and then lost home to virginia tech next week i think that was more about that team not being good and then 2017 They lost a navy. They beat Navy at home, and then went on the road and lost to Stanford. But I don't think anybody would attribute that to me to to playing an option team. It was that team just kind of faded and folded a little bit down the stretch. Since then, hasn't been an issue. So good questions, there, guys. Very good questions. Here's a question, Carlos Garza. Why is it? Why is it? Do why do these schools schedule some opponents like Alabama ten years in advance? Do you think this will go away soon? Probably not. Yeah. I don't I mean I think part of it's just having your schedule locked in and and trying to have an idea of who you can and can't play and you know teams are always trying to to, to be ahead of it. I, I don't love it. I wish there was a rule that you couldn't schedule more than two or three years out. That's what I'd prefer, but there's a lot of logistical stuff that goes into it that you need time to prepare for and, and financially pay for and things along those lines. and you know it's like you, you schedule these deals. The other thing too is the further I schedule a deal, I mean, if I if I agree to pay let's say I'm, I schedule a deal to pay a Power Five team to come play us, and the deal is you'll pay them a million dollars, and it's ten years down the road. Unless there are some escalators built into that contract, that ten that 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 dollar amount in ten years is going to look like a bargain. I mean, that's just the reality of it. I mean, if you could if you could go buy a car to you know ten years ago, if you could go and put a, 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 a say, hey, look, you go to a dealer and say, hey, I want to I'm going to buy your, in 10 years, I want to buy your 2023 version of this car today at the price for today. That's a heck of a deal now in 2023, isn't it? So I think that's part of it too. Is uh, I, would, I would assume that that's part of it, but I think a lot of it just is you don't have a lot of windows and you want to make sure that your schedule is full. I'm curious how the adjustment The SEC is talking about going to a nine-game schedule. And I'm curious how many of these games that SEC teams have scheduled, like Florida and Alabama playing Notre Dame, are going to try to get out of when they go to a nine-team schedule. Okay, T-Guns, when playing NCAA, do you use the stock playbook they give to Notre Dame, or do you create your own? How many different styles of playbooks do you create? It's been 10 years since I played that game, but I always created my own. And I usually only had one. I just kind of would, over time, find the stuff I liked and put it into a playbook and sometimes make new stuff, which, uh, which the later games could allow you to do. I don't know if the new one will, that was always fun, but yeah, I usually, I usually build a custom playbook, not, not take the one that, that I, that I do. Now, sometimes I would take one for fun. You know, it's like a little bit more of a challenge. If you're trying to like, you know, not, you know, push yourself a little bit or just, it'd be different. You, you take another team's playbook and try to win with that. But normally I would, customize customize one salty virginia peanuts asks uh, 2025 wide receiver target jerome bettis jr has been blowing up in both size and recruiting attention has he moved up in brian's estimation no he hasn't i mean i haven't seen anything from him that makes me want to question my evaluation but i I, what's changed salty it's a fair question is once notre dame decided they were going to take four receivers i was totally fine taking jerome bettis jr because the thing is right now I don't believe Jerome Bettis Jr. is a Notre Dame caliber player right now. But number one, the thing you have to look at is there's a lot of size to work with. He's a competitive kid. He's a, from everyone that we've talked to that knows him, he's a really good kid that fits well into with what Notre Dame is about. And you have to look at the DNA. I mean, when they first offered Bryce Young, he was not a Notre Dame caliber player either. He became one. Now, Jerome hasn't quite had the jump that Bryce had at the same age, but there's some things to work with there. And because you're going to have the extra room of receiver, I'm good with it because if you miss, you still have a great if, – if you miss and he's not as good as you hope he is, you still have a great kid on your team, a hard worker, a kid with some size that understands what Notre Dame is about and you're going to have a parent who's on board with what Notre Dame's mission is. That's the worst case – I mean, that's your worst case scenario as far as taking Jerome Bettis Jr. That's better to me than the worst case scenario of you not taking Jerome and he goes to Texas A&M or Georgia Tech and the DNA kicks in and the the player that some people think he can be, he becomes in somebody else's uniform. That'd be terrible. Could you imagine like having to watch Jerome Bettis Jr. balling out for somebody other than Notre Dame? That'd make me want to cry a little bit. Not going to lie to you. So the, of the two worst-case scenarios, I'd much rather take the worst case where he comes to Notre Dame and he's a great kid and a hard worker with a good attitude that maybe just does, is just nothing more than a rotation player. I can live with that. But what Notre Dame is banking on, and what I'm okay with them banking on at four receivers is maybe he's not as good as these guys now, but we think because of some other aspects that he's going to be that kind of player in college. Fine. Totally fine with that. Because at the end of the day, I hope they're right. I, I would love it if Jerome Bettis Jr. is a way better player than I think he is. I would love it. I tell you guys this all the time. I always like to be wrong if I don't think a kid's that good. And it's especially true when you're talking about the 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 a kid of a of a former no-name player. And so I'm all for taking Jerome, even though my opinion of him has not changed. The circumstances have changed. But when you're talking about a six foot three, two hundred-pound kid that's as competitive as he is and is the type of young man he is off the field, I'm, I'm okay. Taking a chance on that when you're going at four. And then if he pans out, you look like a genius. And I look like an idiot and I would love to look like an idiot because of my evaluation of Jerome, my evaluation of drone, Bettis junior down the road, I, I do not want to be right about that one. And I'm hoping his senior year is the first step towards, towards fixing that Tom Connor, who is the best quarterback on the schedule? This is a very, very good question, Tom. Let's pull this up. Let's go to the schedule again. Who's the best quarterback on the schedule? I like Connor Wegman a lot, but he is coming off of an injury. I do think Connor Wegman could be in the conversation by season's end. I don't know if he can be there in week one, so I'm partly about who they play. The reason I like the Connor Wegman, I think he's a dual threat guy. And I think playing for Colin Klein is going to be a lot better suited to his skill set than playing in in whatever Jimbo Fisher was trying to do in in recent years. And even Bobby Petrino, who I like, I just don't know that Connor necessarily his his skill set is better suited. He could play in that offense because he's really talented, but it's better suited, in my opinion, for other offenses. Uh, you know, Tyler Slott or Shuck is a kid with some ability. You know, Stanford not so much. I really like Haynes King a lot. He's got to limit the turnovers. I mean, that kid had way too many turnovers last year. That was a that was a big issue for him last season. But when he was on, he was a really good football player. I mean, when you just look at his numbers, I mean, he passed for 2,842 yards and 27 touchdowns. He was also second on their team in rushing with 737 yards and 10 touchdowns. You're talking about a kid that, in, as a first-year starter at Texas A&M, accounted for 3,579 yards, 7.4 yards per play, and had 37 touchdowns last season. Now, the problem is he had 16 turnovers. And when you look at his whole career, turnovers have been an issue for him. You know, if you look at A&M, his first two years, three touchdowns, four picks. His third year where he got the most starts, seven touchdowns, 10 picks. So you're talking about a kid that has 10, Was it, if I'm doing this correctly, 10 touchdowns and 10 interceptions first through his first three years. This is a kid that's thrown 26 interceptions already in college. That's a lot of turnovers. If he can limit that and just limit turning the ball over as a now, now he's going to his fifth years as a player. He's got a chance to be a really good player, a really good player for them. So I like Haynes King a lot. Is either best? I don't know that I would go there. You know, I think DJ Uyunglele for their schedule has got a chance to be that kind of guy. You know, I think he'll fit that system pretty well. I mean, a lot of it's just, you got to fit the system right I mean that that's really what it boils down to and I think he will fit that system relatively well you know at Virginia it's like who's their quarterback going to be is it going to be Anthony Calandria is it going to be Tony Musket I don't know who their quarterback's going to be the Calandria kid is an interesting player you know, He was a good good dual threat guy it you know, doesn't really scare me a ton who's going to be the quarterback for USC I, I don't know the answer to that so as I'm looking through the schedule now My favorite quarterback, the kid that if I could take any quarterback from this schedule to Notre Dame, if Notre Dame had a need, who would that be? It'd probably be Connor Wegman. Do I think he's the best quarterback on the schedule? I'd be more concerned about Connor Wegman if Notre Dame played him in week 10 than week one. But it's not a great quarterback schedule for where it is right now. But there are some decent, even, you know, Ashton Daniels at Stanford's a decent player. There's some guys on there that are that are good football players, but nobody that really scares me. It's not like what Notre Dame has played in recent years where they've had to play in the last two years. Think about this. In the last two years, Notre Dame, when you look at who they've had to play quarterback-wise, has had to play two games against Caleb, against Caleb Williams. They've had to play against C.J. Stroud. They've had to play against Drake May, Jaron Hall, Tanner McKee, and they did play against D.J. Uyunglele, by the way couple years ago spencer rattler in 2023 and i'm going to go through it this year riley leonard this past season it's a good quarterback and so they've they've had to play some pretty good quarterbacks in recent years and they've been able to shut them down and i hope that continues in 2024 let's get to some more questions here folks so you got some really good ones today i appreciate everybody that, that put questions in Let me get caught up here. Uh, Let's see here. David Jones, is this a year we will definitely see the kind of chops Joe Rudolph has for the O-line coach? Oh, absolutely, David, because, you know, you look at 2025, you know, that could be a situation where, you know, Notre Dame has got a really good offensive line in spite of coaching, kind of like the 2020 offensive line, where you're just so experienced and so talented that you can kind of overcome not great coaching. To me, offensive line coaches show their chops the most in years where they have the least amount of experience, because that's when it's about your development through and through. Like, because it's not just about okay, you you got to take five talented guys, but having five talented guys doesn't mean you're going to have a good offensive line. You've got to make sure that they all know what they're doing. You've got to develop them mentally. You've got to tell develop their footwork, their technique, their hand play. You know, you've got to get them. You know, last year Notre Dame really struggled with being a team that could could drive through contact you know they wouldn't hit and stop their feet can he change that and when you're dealing with a young group that still has to learn okay this is where I'm supposed to be even little things like I'm normally supposed to be six inches from the guard but on this one play I got to get down to five without going over too much that kind of gives it away there's all these types of things that you have to learn and when you're teaching younger players it's even harder so to me, if Joe Rudolph can get this offensive line to play at a high level for most of the season, then he answers the question for me, does he have the chops or not? There's no doubt because if they play really well next year, it could just be that they're so talented and experienced that it just doesn't matter. They won without him. But if he can do it this year, and, and I'm not asking for perfection. I'm not asking they go out there and dominate every all 12 games. That's unfair. I mean, Notre Dame has, didn't do that on some of their best teams. Their 2017 team didn't do that. And That was the best offensive line of college football by a mile. The 2020 offensive line, which is outstanding, didn't do that every single week. But it's just about you need to see the progress. The lows need to be higher and the highs need to be more consistent. That's really what you need to see. David Lowe says, Gerby Lambert was ranked the eighth best tackle by 247. Is that too low? Yes. And I would always advise you, David, to not pay attention to 247. I don't know how many more times I can tell you that. Jay Wick with a question. Do you think that philosophy is on a position coach, position by position basis, Brian? Well, Jay Wick, it depends on what philosophy you're talking about. I'm not quite sure what you're referring to. So if you don't mind following up in the chat with what you're, what specific, because I don't know when, what I was talking about when you put this question in. So if you could please kind of follow up a little bit with what you mean by the philosophy, I would gladly, gladly like to answer that question for you. Carlos Garza Brian what console will you be playing on I don't know I don't have a console right now I still have the old old playstation so I'm gonna have to buy a new console whenever the game comes out which means I should probably go out and get one now don't you think but I'll, I'll ask you guys what's the best console to play that type of game I have no idea I haven't bought a console in over 20 years so I don't know that's a good one I, I'm all ears I'm taking suggestions, taking suggestions. Chief Brody, should Notre Dame go twelve and zero against this schedule, or should Notre Dame go twelve and zero against this schedule? Um, uh, I mean, should they? No, I don't think they should. Saying they should, can they go twelve and twelve, 12 and zero? Yes, they can. Should they? And guys, running the table is not an easy thing to do. It, it really isn't. And so, if Notre Dame goes eleven and one, I'm going to be like, oh man, this sucks. No, and the thing is, is eleven and one and twelve and zero to me doesn't change Notre Dame seating a whole lot. It won't. You know, there'll be five or six. They can't be top four there will be 5 or 6 either way. So, I mean 10 and 2 to me I've said is the floor. 10 and 2 would be progress. 10 and 2 would not tell me this is it, they've arrived. 11 and 1 would be a lot closer to that, and of course 12 and 0 would be better, but there's a difference between saying they should go 12 and 0 and they can can they go 12 and 0? Yes, absolutely. Should they? I mean, that's that's asking a lot. I just care that they get in the playoff. That's when I care about winning every week, more so. But they're capable of it, for sure. I Dan Banami, am I the only one still having nightmares of the Louisville game and for some reason think they'll do it again? I mean, I I I don't know. I can't speak for everybody else in the chat, but no. I mean, look, Notre Dame played about as bad as they could play in that game, and, and I don't expect that to be repeated. I mean, look, did Notre Dame play any worse than that? Was that game any worse than the USC game the year before? No. And they came out this year and dominated USC. Notre Dame absolutely obliterated Clemson in 2022. I mean, what Notre Dame did to Clemson was far worse than what Louisville did in Notre game. Come out the next year, they got to go to Clemson's place, and Clemson kicks their butt. So uh, that stuff doesn't matter. What they did the year before doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Notre Dame should not have lost to Louisville this year. They sh- shouldn't lose to ULV- Louisville next year, but Louisville is a good football team. And one of the questions from Sam S is, how good is Louisville going to be next year? I think they're still going to be pretty good. I do. I mean, look, they were a good football team this year. I, I don't care about the bowl game. I thought they competed um, in the the uh, the the, C- the ACC title game against a team that had far better players than they did. The bowl game, as I said, I just I just don't I don't care about the bowl game. I really don't. I me mean, let me pull up something here real quick as well, because to me, Louisville is a team that is relying heavily on transfers, which you guys know I have a little bit of an issue with, but there's an exception for Louisville. And that exception is they have a head coach who's proven he can do that. And so, I mean, he's shown that he can kind of fit those piece, new pieces in, into play. And when you when you look at what Louisville did in the transfer portal – I mean, they lost a lot of players. They lost their best receiver. I I believe they lost their best running back. They lost their quarterback. They lost a lot from their – you know, some players in their defense. But they're bringing in 26 transfers, including some guys I really like. Tyler Barron at defensive end is a really good football player. Uh, There's a receiver they got – let me let me find this kid's name. Where is he? I always forget his name. It's the kid from – no, that's not – it's a kid from South Alabama. Colin Lacey. That kid's a really good football player. I think he's going to fit in very well at wide receiver. They also got, you know, a kid from Alabama to come in and play wide receiver who's you know got some ability. But um, but I'm trying to find the names of all these guys and I can't find it. Let me find it here real quick. Some other guys that they got that I really like. They did get Daya McCullough, who's you know it's a solid prospect. But they, the two kids they got from Tennessee to me at safety are also guys that i that i like quite a bit and i'm trying to find their names here wesley walker and tamorian mcdonald our two safeties have played a lot of football for tennessee had some starts at tennessee were really good football players i think they're going to help the defense continue to be you know a quality defense but i you know they got penny boone at running back who's a 240 pound kid that rushed for over 1400 yards last year in the mac so i think they did very well in the portal. The the big key is going to be Tyler Shuck. Oh, Thor Griffin. Griffith is another player that they got a the D-tackle that, that Ryan and I both like a lot. That was a very good transfer pickup. If Notre Dame would have looked at him, I'd have been happy. Ja'Cory Brooks is the kid. I always get Ja'Cory Brooks and Isaiah Bond mixed up. Ja'Cory Brooks is the other receiver they got there as well. And so, to me, they got some good players. They're fitting some good pieces into there. And it, it's just, can Tyler Shuck stay healthy? Tyler Shuck is far more talented, in my opinion, than Jack Plummer. It's just, can he stay healthy? So I I like I like what Louisville's got next year. I think when you look at their schedule, it's you know, it's a it's a challenging schedule, but it's not one that's just insane when you look at who they have. They play Austin Peay, Jacksonville State, Georgia Tech at home, at Notre Dame will be tough, home against SMU, at Virginia, they got Miami at home, play at BC, at Clemson, that'll be tough, at Stanford, home against Pitt, at Kentucky. So that's a schedule that if they're the team that I think they can be, that's a 9-10 win team again potentially with, in my opinion, would be would be losses to Notre Dame and, and Clemson. And then their season is going to be determined by what they do. Number one, avoiding upsets. And then after that, it's between Georgia Tech at home, Miami at home, and at Kentucky, you've got to win two of those three to be a 9-3 team. And if you can if you can pull off an upset over Notre Dame or Clemson and then go 2-1 in those games – you're in the same boat. I mean, you're, you're a 10 and two team. And if you can, you know, run the table against those other teams and now you're still a 10 and two team. So I like Louisville. I, I think they're a team that's got some, that's got some potential. And I just don't see Notre Dame laying an egg the way that they did this year. It just, it's not usually how that stuff kind of works. I then also asked, have we heard anything? Had we heard Sneed or Osbury taking some big steps in in the past few months? I mean, they're right now it's, it's just weight room work, so there's it's a little too early for that. We'll find out as we get through the spring and into the summer the better time to, to learn about those things. Jared Rhodes says, What can Notre Dame do differently against Louisville offensively to avoid another letdown? Is it as simple as the OC change making the difference? Well, no. I mean, the OC change has to be followed by the OC doing a better job of preparing a team, the offensive line doing a better job of preparing a team. The quarterback's got to play better. And you've got to, the, but the big thing for me, the biggest problem in the game last year was the offensive line. You know they really struggled in that game. There were some opportunities to take advantage. You, you've got, I mean, you think about it. You're you're down seventeen to ten, and you've lost all the momentum. You drop back and you run a little bit of a trick play. It's a great play call by Jared Parker. You run a little, you know, fake screen stutter. Go with Mitchell Evans. Sam Hartman lost it boom hits him right in stride you get the ball deep in Louisville territory you got all the momentum back Brrr, penalty illegal hands in the face by Blake Fisher bring it back you know Louisville had just what was it i think they had just taken a lead i, I think it was oh gosh no it was no it was it was it was coming out of halftime i'm pretty sure let me let me pull the play by play up because i think it was that you're coming out of halftime and you force a fumble it's a seven to seven ball game. You have really struggled in that game. Let me pull this play by play up because I'm pretty sure it was on the first drive of the second half. So let me go here. You got end up half. Yes, they come out of the half, and you're third and six at the 35-yard line. You're it's a seven to seven ball game, and they call a play, wide fade to Chris Tyree. Sam underthrows him a bit, but it still hits him in the hands. Chris drops it. So instead of you instead of going up fourteen to seven and just silencing that crowd, Notre Dame stru- settles for a field goal and just doesn't really gain the momentum. Louisville goes down and and ties it up ten to ten, and there just were so many missed opportunities in that game for Notre Dame to just take control. And they played terrible. And so I don't see Chris Mitchell and Bo Collins and Jaden Greathouse getting out muscled for footballs the way that the way that Rico Flores did early in that game. I just think this is a better football team at those skill positions. You have a quarterback now that can do more damage against that type of pressure. You can hurt Louisville more for the aggressiveness that they showed against you than you could last year, even if the offensive line doesn't play better. At the end of the day, that's going to be the big key, is the offensive line is going to have to play a lot better than it did against Louisville last year. I mean, For all the talk about the defense play, they they give up seven points in the first half. That's it. And, and Louisville scored on some very short fields in the second half. If you go down and, and if you go look at that game, they, you know, they had a field goal drive that covered a total of seven yards. They had another field goal drive that covered minus four yards. They had another field goal drive that covered eight yards. I mean, so, I mean, I'm just kind of doing the math here real quick. Their last three scoring drives covered a grand total of 11 yards. You know, that kind of stuff matters. You take those away, it's 24 to 20 with how bad Notre Dame played. So I just – where you get concerned about games like that, Jared, because it's a very fair question, is if one of two things is true. Number one, you have a a history of performances like that, which I don't know that you could even say Notre Dame does the last couple years. It would just kind of pop up weirdly. It wasn't a consistent history of it. And then number two is if that opponent has a unique matchup advantage against you, and I don't think that's true either. Like we said it all off season. Now I'm not saying Notre Dame should have lost to Clemson, uh, but we said all off season. Look, they're not going to just repeat what they did in 2022. It doesn't work like that. Clemson going to be prepared to stop that. It, it, it's a different team. Both teams are different. Just because Notre Dame hosted Louisville, I mean hosted Clemson in 22 and kicked the crap out of them. Doesn't mean that it's just automatically going to repeat next year. It's not how football works if there's somewhat comparable teams. So, if anything, the way that Louisville beat Notre Dame last year is going to be bad for Louisville because it means Notre Dame is going to be very aware of that game and very pissed about that game. So, if anything, if you're Louisville, you kind of maybe wish you didn't have that kind of result last year, in my opinion. T. Smith, 0323. How would you feel about the Broncos taking Bo Nix? In the draft, well, you know, to me, I mean, Denver needs a quarterback, right? Of the guys on the board, he's probably the one they have the best chance at sitting at 14 or no, what they're 12. I don't see Drake May or even Jaden Daniels getting there. I'd rather have Bo Nix and Jaden Daniels, to be honest with you. And I like Jaden Daniels a lot, but I just, I just don't know how his game is going to translate, and I'm concerned about his body holding up at the next level. I think as great as Jaden Daniels was this year, we can't ignore the fact that it was his fifth season starting. you know. And um, I just I, I don't know how well that's going to translate, to be honest with you. But look, if you're going to have to take a quarterback in the first round, I'd be okay with Bo. I mean, you have to understand there's an adjustment you're going to have to make with him going from the system he ran to the new one, but I don't, I just, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't be completely opposed to it. I I mean, if you could trade down a few spots and get some picks and, and still get him, that'd be awesome. But I don't know that I, um, I don't know that I would, uh, yeah, I don't know that I'd be opposed to that. And the other part of it too is like what's on the board. I mean, if there's a great pass rusher, you need a pass rusher. If there's a great corner, if there's a, you know, some stud receiver. I mean, there's other needs that Denver has that if that guy's there, do you, do you take a quarterback that maybe grades much lower than one of those guys? No, you don't. And then maybe you can hope that you can get one in round two or round three or something like that. But I'd be okay with it. it he wouldn't be like the top guy on my board. But if they took a quarterback there, I mean, that's a need you have. And it would be a sign that they're rebuilding a little bit, which they are. They need to do. So I'd be okay with it. I'd be okay with it. And then Jay Wick followed up and said, uh, in re- referring to his previous question about um, that that you asked about, do you think the philosophy is a position by position basis? He's referring to playing the younger guys who are equally talented as an older guy, but potentially more flawed. No, I didn't say equally talented. That that's not it at all. If you're if you're playing two guys that are e- if you have two guys that are equally talented, and the older guy knows the system more, then you play the older guy. It's if if the older guy knows the system better and the younger guy is more talented and the gap between the talent is greater than the gap between the system, then you play the younger guy. In my opinion, that's, that's what I'm saying. So like if you have a young guy that's super talented, but he doesn't know what he's doing, you don't play him, you play the veteran. What I'm saying is if you have a veteran that knows what he's doing and you have a younger guy that somewhat knows what he's doing, but the talent gap is pretty big, then you, to me, you play the younger guy because the only thing lacking is experience. But if you don't ever play him, he can't get that experience. If it's close in talent and one guy knows the system better, then you play the guy that knows the system better. My scenario, Jay Wick, just so we're clear, refers to situations where I don't think the talent is the same. So, for example, I don't think that Pat Coogan and Billy Shrouth are on anywhere close talent-wise. That's why I thought he should have played last year more it'd be a little different if we we're talking about Billy Shrouth against Jarrett Patterson, because Jarrett's also talented and more experienced. So it's a little bit of a different situation for me. So uh, that's why I just want to make sure we're clear. And to, to, so, so the philosophy that I do have, to me, would be something that would translate to all positions. I think that should be true to every position. If things are somewhat close with knowledge of the system and one guy is definitely more talented, then you play the guy that's more talented. That's certainly what I believe. All right, that's going to do it for today's show, everybody. Lots of great questions. I enjoyed it very much. Appreciate y'all's patience with that little stumble that I had right there in the middle. Uh, sorry about that, but we'll we'll get that. We'll, no, no more mistakes like that. We'll, we'll get this thing rocking and rolling here moving forward. Now, we'll be back tomorrow. we will be Ryan and Sean tomorrow at 1 o'clock for a Notre Dame recruiting hour. Sean Davis and I will be back on Saturday for an RTCF show. We're still putting the topics together for that. So that'll be another fun show. So we got lots planned and then of course Ryan and I will be back next Monday for another mailbag. So have a great rest of your Thursday everyone. Check out hit that like button on your way out. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast with all your friends, not just sharing it with the share button. It helps us with helps us grow and helps us kind of with the algorithm, but also tell people about it. Word of mouth is how we advertise. And then if you have not done so, I'm 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 just going to throw this challenge out now. If you have not signed up for the message board and you've at least thought about it or you want to support our Breakdown, give it a try. Sign up for a monthly membership, annual membership, whatever the case may be. Just give it a shot. Give us at least through the spring game, through spring practice. And I think you guys are going to really like the intel that we bring, the breakdowns that I have planned, the conversation that we have. There's a lot of stuff that we have planned that I think you're really going to like. And so if you haven't done so, I'm telling you, I'm just challenging you. If you like Irish Breakdown, you like what we're about, you like the intel that we offer here, sign up for the message board. Give us at least from now through spring, which is April 20th, to see what we have, to see what we have to offer, to see the different things we do. And I don't think you're going to be disappointed at all. So I I think the people that have signed up really like it and stick with us. And that's why we've been able to grow the way we have in a very, very short period of time. So, Give it a whirl, boards at IrishBreakdown.com. As Jason Smith said, it's the best money you'll spend each month. I agree. Thank you very, very much for that. All right. Have a good one, everybody. We'll talk to you again here very soon on the Irish Breakdown podcast.